welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Uh, Lord, we thank you. The power of your word is available for us. We attend to it. Your word is full of power. And we pray that it would touch and change and challenge us so that we can grow to become more like you, more effective in our life, more productive uh, in life. And we thank you that that these words that we hear right now will be anointed to help us uh, apply your truth, wisdom from your word to our lives for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, if you have a Bible, then get ready uh, and I'll give you some scriptures or you can just keep watching the screen and I think our amazing tech team put the scriptures up as we go. I want to talk about the power and the positives of God's family. I heard recently about a uh, study by some sociologists and they got a group of people together and they, um, they gave each of them Uh, a dice, a set of dice, and they would roll the dice and they said to them, okay, we're going to pay you money if you guess correctly what the roll of the dice would be. And they trusted them. So they said, right, you choose the number and then roll the dice and tell us if you chose correctly and we'll pay you some money each time you get it right. Well, it's amazing how lucky people were. bit lucky, you know, because (laughs) people would say, oh, I'm going to roll a... And they, don't, they didn't have to say it out loud. They said, keep it to yourself. Okay, fine. They roll the dice. What do you know? I said, I'd roll a seven. It's a seven. Yeah, great. Hit me. And they got money. And they knew they were lying because they had them hooked up to a lie detector uh, machine. And so, um, but then they changed things up and they said, okay, we're going to continue the um, uh, same uh, procedure. And all the participants were told, carry on, do the guesswork, roll the dice, then advise us if you guess correctly but this time you don't get the money the money's going to go to charity and uh, what do you think happened I would have guessed that people wouldn't lie so much because they couldn't care where the money goes but no they continued to lie uh, and although they weren't getting the money they obviously wanted to feel good about giving money to charity so they were prepared to lie for it they knew they were lying because of the statistics uh, that were unrealistic about the number of times they were guessing correctly. Um, but what was interesting was that the lies were no longer showing up on the lie detector machine. Because as you probably know, the lie detectors machines don't literally figure out in someone's head whether they're telling the truth or not. It just measures heart rate. And someone's heart rate increases if they're under stress, normally associated with lying. But now the people were totally calm and confident about lying because the money was going to a good cause. And I found that fascinating. I thought, wow. So here these people were happy to lie thinking that's okay because it's ultimately money going to a good cause. And I thought, isn't that interesting? And the Bible says something about this. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9, it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? 
And so that study reveals how the human heart can indeed be quite deceitful. That if, if left to our own devices, you can, you can deceive not just others, you can actually deceive yourself. You can convince yourself that, that you're doing something good when it's really not that good at all, like lying. And, and so you can actually be quite deluded about things going on in your world if you're not careful. And this can be a big problem, a, re a real big issue. And we're all susceptible to it because we've, we've all got a, a human heart. We've all got a blind side or, or a weakness or an area in our lives where we might be at fault and yet we can't see that fault because our heart doesn't want to admit that fault. And so, so what are you going to do about this? Uh, what, what's, what's the answer? Well, of course, you can, um, you can just allow yourself to continue on, to be deceived, to be uh, delu deluded. You can go through life with quite a seared conscience and, um, and you just make up your own version of, of right and wrong. You just decide what, what is true based on basically what suits you. And uh, you could just say, well, you know, I, I'm... I'm always going to be in the right, therefore I've just got to find someone or something else to blame and call them wrong and, um, and I'll, just, I'll just work my way through life that way. Uh, and, and, uh, and after all, the scripture there says, well, the, the heart is beyond cure. Who can understand it? So you're right. It's hard to understand. It's hard to fix it up. I'm, just, I'm not going to try and straighten it out. I'll just go with the flow. I'm just going to make all my decisions based on what suits me. And sadly, some people really do live their lives like that. Uh, but you'll be pleased to know there's a better way, a higher way, God's way. And we start by going to God with this heart that is sinful and problematic. And the question there, the rhetorical question there, who can understand the heart? Well, of course, there is an answer. God understands the heart. And more than that, he understands the cure for the problems of the heart and not only understands the cure, provided the cure, it's called the blood of Jesus, that cleanses us from all sin. And so our hearts can be washed clean. It, they can be straightened out. They can fall into line with God's truth, with God's ways. And so we can come to God through Jesus, and there we find forgiveness for our sins, cleansing for our heart, a, a, a dealing with our heart and a straightening of our heart. And as we come to Christ, we actually find some fantastic resources that help us make good decisions in life rather than decisions based on our own uh, sin or, or delusion and, and the blind sides that we might have. We can actually make good, clear decisions with these resources. One, of course, is the Holy Spirit. He comes into our heart, comes into our spirit, regenerates our spirit, and, uh, and he works on our conscience. So we have a chance to, to change, to grow, to have our moral compass pointing true north uh, towards the Lord, towards his ways. We can get a God-given ethical approach to life, to decision-making, uh, have our attitudes changed. And, and of course, the Bible talks in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, growing in us and therefore changing our character. And you may know this scripture. It says in Galatians 5 verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness and self-control. And so these are character qualities the Holy Spirit builds and grows and produces in our, in our life, in our heart. So, for example, once when someone wronged you or hurt you, uh, it felt right to just react angrily. Maybe an outburst of anger or maybe you're more of a passive-aggressive person and so maybe you just sort of went into yourself and maybe you, you just internalise the hurt, but you, you cut them off. You, you might just dismiss someone out of your life. And these are natural kind of responses just for self-preservation. But as the Holy Spirit grows and builds and produces fruit in us, we get to behave a better way. We have better attitudes so that we're actually not just retorting and, and responding with natural base human emotions. We feel the love of God. We're able to forgive. We have the grace that God has poured into our hearts, like Byron shared so well over communion, that God's got this, this flow-on effect from his, his heart into our heart and then through our changed heart towards other people. So we, so we forgive. We maintain relationship. We actually let stuff go. We, 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 we let love flow and have a, a higher way so relationships can be maintained and we move forward. And the second uh, resource that we're given is, of course, the Word of God. The Bible's got commandments that we can attend to and obey about how to live our lives, how to make good decisions, what to avoid or what to follow. There's principles that we can apply to our lives. There's words of wisdom uh, that we, we, we uh, uh, apply to situations that we that we come to, um, and uh, classic scripture, you may know Psalm 119 verse 105 says, the word of God is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Isn't that awesome? In other words, uh, if you don't know where to go because things are dark, you just flick the switch just like a torch back in the old days or a phone and you, oh, can see where you're going. Well, the word of God does that. Oh, what should I do here? I don't know. I'm in the dark about this. Oh, The the Word of God says, do this. Go this way. Don't do that. Do this. It's very clear, very helpful so that you can keep tracking, so you can stay on the right path in life. Isn't that awesome? But there's another major way that God helps us make good decisions, helps us avoid the foibles and fractured processing and decision-making that we are left in our own heart by ourselves to our own devices. This resource is uh, right there for us. Sometimes we avoid it. Sometimes it can be a bit scratchy and difficult and annoying and so we just don't want to go there but we really want to attend to it. And that is the resource of other people. That's what I want you to think with me today about this, this opportunity that we have for other people to be in our life, to speak into our life, to correct us sometimes, to help us track well, to make good decisions because we need other people. Now, I know they're annoying. You're not, but everyone else is, okay? <laughs> people, people are annoying. They're imperfect. Uh, annoyingly, they don't always agree with you, uh, but they are a God-given resource for you to listen to and learn from. 
Of course, the alternative to listening to other people and working with other people uh, is very problematic. And the Bible warns us quite a lot about this, about the dangers of being isolated, about being independent and, and not in touch with what others might say and speak into our life and help us with. And in particular, um, the book of Proverbs is full of these warnings and encouragement to learn from others, to get the resource of other people's input. So check out some of these Proverbs from, uh, well, the book of wisdom as it's known. Uh, Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of a fool is right in his own way in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Wow. So, uh, you, you know, you, you, can, you can think you're doing the right thing, but it's foolish. And how would you know? Ah, only if you listen to advice. And a wise man is that kind of person. So it's pretty clear, almost like two kinds of people. Those who do listen to advice, oh, they're wise. Those who don't, well, sorry, you're a fool. Which one do you want to be? So uh, look at Proverbs 15.22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to fail. I don't want to have plans that are stupid and wrong and not going to work out. We want to succeed. We want to make good decisions. Well, it's quite clear that you need counsel or advisors, other people, to give you advice in order to make good decisions plans and succeed. Uh, what about Proverbs thirteen twenty? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Well, you become like the people you hang out with. You, you know, you, you're influenced by those that you connect with and do life with. And so uh, we'll talk more about that in a minute. So you've got to watch who you're hanging around with. And if you're with wise people, well, that's going to rub off on you. And you're going to get wise and make good decisions. And Proverbs 20 verse 18. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. Well, sometimes life is a battle. <laughs> you, you want to go into battle with others, with the advice of others. You want to just go out there on your own and then, ah, where's everybody gone? And I'm fighting this battle all by myself and I've made the wrong decisions. And, you know, military history shows that the best battles and the best victories are fought exactly as this says by getting a council of war they often call it or councils or councillors inputting might be a general making the decision you're your own life general if you like you get the ultimate call but you're better off listening before you make that call okay and I think you get the idea but let me give you one more classic warning that is found in Proverbs 18 verse 1 whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Wow. Isolation. Look at that. And we've all got our own desires. Look at that. You seek your own desire. I mean, sadly, one of our strong desires is that I never want to be wrong. We all want to be right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and even if the facts don't agree, you just don't want to admit, men particularly, I think, have a problem with this one. And yet it's, it's interesting. It says that's, that's breaking out or pushing against sound judgment. So others might disagree with you, but only because they've actually brought sound judgment that disagrees with your unsound judgment. 
because you're just following your own path and it's all about I'm right and I don't want to admit I've made a mistake or go back or uh, change my track or I just want to carry on in my delusion. And, and, and this is the choice we have. You can do that um, or you can admit sometimes that you need help, that you're wrong, that you are opening up to other people's input and you'll not be hitting your head against the same old wall. Some people are making the same mistakes over and over and over again because they're not listening. But if they'd stop and say to someone, well, they might learn. So we need other people. But, of course, you've got to be careful who you invite to speak into your life, who you are going to let give you advice or even correct you, even rebuke you, even strong advice. That can be painful. Uh, and you've got to be careful because, let's face it, there's some bullfeds out there. There's some people that really aren't <laughs> that wise or that helpful and not necessarily a positive influence. So where are you going to go to find someone who you can trust, who you can learn from, who's full of God's love, a spirit of wisdom, someone who's going to have your best interests at heart? Well, I think the best place to start is in God's house, in God's family. Not that church is perfect or that people in church are perfect. We know that that's not the case. But for all its faults, the church is basically a group of people who are looking to Jesus, following Jesus, worshipping Jesus. And surely along the way, some of those people are going to pick up some character qualities from Jesus. Like I said, walking and having the Holy Spirit grow inside you. And that some of those people at least are going to be becoming more Christ-like, growing in wisdom that can benefit you in your decision-making. And of course, yeah, not everyone is wise. Not, there's no single individual in God's house that's going to have all the answers for you. But God's family is a very good place to start and you will find trusted, godly people that you can walk with, do life with, learn from. And, um, and of course, as we all grow in God, we find that God calls us out of our isolation into community. He calls us to connect. That's part of Christian maturity, not just to be a consumer and say, oh, well, that's good. I'll take that from this person. And I'll glean that and I'll take my salvation and I just want this for me. As we grow in God, we learn to give. We live to give. And so we are connecting more responsibly ourselves rather than just hoping people come to us, give us everything. And so it's reciprocal. We're actually giving and helping other people. Oh, what do you know? You reached out, made the effort to build a relationship there. Well, didn't you know that person has got life experience that you are also benefiting from. And so there's this wonderful win-win situation that can go on. So God's plan is for us not to be individualistic and isolated, but to be in relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that really is the reality, not just a, a, a phrase, a poetic, figurative figure of speech, brothers and sisters in Christ, we really do have spiritual siblings because the Bible says, John 1 verse 12, those who believed in Jesus, God gave them the right to become children of God. And so we have this perfect father who sorts the family out because some of your siblings get it wrong and so do you and there's a little, you know, a bit of iron sharpening iron going on and this and that. But perfect heavenly dad keeps the family tracking along and 
other analogy, of course, body of Christ, all the parts need each other. We all work together and we learn from each other. I shared um, with our men on our recent Zoom monthly men's breakfast at the end of the month. We'll do it again the end last Saturday of each month. Um, and I talked about a friend whose father died not that long ago and I, I rang him just to offer my condolences and he shared how he really had a, a, a pretty tough time. His father wasn't uh, a great father at all and uh, one of the kids, this mate of mine, one of his siblings had lost touch with the father, didn't speak to him at all and, um, and although my mate had some connection with the father, it was a pretty poor relationship. He said even from a young age, he said, I can never remember my father encouraging me. And, uh, and the father had, you know, burnt bridges and, and uh, lived a sad, isolated life. And yet my friend had grown up, become a Christian and has a great marriage, great family, wonderful children have all grown up that he's in good relationship with and they love him and they talk and they connect and his finances are in order and he's got a great life. And I said, well, praise the Lord, you, you gave your life to Christ because God's obviously worked in you and and you know blessed you and built you up and you've attended to the ways of God and he said well that's true but he said a very interesting thing that I wrote down um, he says it wasn't just his personal relationship with God he said this this is why I will always be a champion for the local church until the day I die because it is there that I learned how to be a good husband and a good father I thought, wow, that's powerful. He, uh, he, uh, he's been in the same church for over 30 years. He met his wife there. He's raised his kids there. He's served there. He's forgiven his pastor there for not being perfect. Just thought I'd throw that in. Uh, and, uh, and so he's been faithful and he has benefited himself from that faithfulness. What he has sown, he has reaped. And he realises, yeah, no, it's not just me and the Lord and my great wisdom that's built this great life. He said, no, I've learnt so much from the role models that I've seen in being a good father, being a good husband, being a good servant of God. And so there's the community of the local church at work in someone's life who's been able to break the, the, the shackles of a, of a potentially generational problem, historical problem, and uh, he certainly didn't learn how to be a great father from his own natural father, but he's got the perfect father who's helping him with role models amongst his brothers and sisters. And so um, I thought that was instructive and worth sharing. And so it's, uh, it's really important. I think now more than ever, because of COVID and lockdown and all the, the, the craziness that's going on in the world, more than ever, people need to be in God's family, part of God's house, connected with God's people. And of course, that's difficult physically, but we are making the effort at least relationally as much as we can, using technology, staying connected, as we've been saying, as part of our one of our mottos, if you like. Um, and of course, it's not just being more efficient in making good decisions when you're connected. It's just a lot more fun. I mean, have you ever seen a kid... Uh, down at the playground or the park with a footy on his own. And sometimes you'll see a little boy there and he's kicking his footy down, one end picking up, running down, passing it kind of to himself. It's better than nothing, but it's pretty limited. He's not really developing his skills. He's not getting the same enjoyment as opposed to 
being with others in a real team, playing the real game, finding his best position, having a bunch of teammates, building the camaraderie, the highs and lows emotionally of the challenge and the victory and all that. And that is a picture of the church, of someone who's rather than just trying to do the Christian life all by themselves, to actually engage with others and say, yeah, I want to be part of the team. I realise it's more fun. And, and interestingly, you know that little boy playing footy on his own, he's never going to get hurt doing that. He can just kick the footy all day. You put him in a team and you guarantee he's going to get some knocks. He's, and I know this because my kids have grown up playing sport and I've played team sport back in the day when I was young, Eleanor. Um, and uh, actually I did play a game of rugby when I was 50, but that's another story. It wasn't the whole game and I nearly got killed. But, you know, I just got talked into, go and have a run. It's only third grade and Luke and Hudson and Caleb were all on the same field. Yeah. So it lasted about 10 minutes. Um, but, uh, you know, my kids have played rugby and hockey and, of course, you can get belted by a stick, you can get punched in the bottom of a ruck and all that, but they've never said, I don't want to play this anymore. It was too painful. I go, no, you lean into it. It's part of the challenge and part of the – and that's life with other people. That's life in the family of God. We've fought some battles together. Sometimes the battles are even with your own teammates sometimes, but it, you get over that and then you sort of – just like teammates on a footy field fighting or disagreeing and if working it through, it's still, it's all part of the challenge and part of life. And so Jesus, he is our wonderful captain and coach of this great team called the church. He is there playing alongside you, training you, encouraging you, uh, showing you what to do, helping you to find the best position that complements others' positions. And, um, And so, you know, we... We give and receive in that team. We put our effort in and we're blessed by the input from others. Um, I've heard of a book actually that talks about this incredible team dynamic that has led to the success of the famous All Blacks New Zealand rugby team. Um, as I said, I've heard of the book because I, um, even though I'd probably glean life-changing leadership lessons and life lessons from the book, I can't bring myself to read the book because it's too painful to be reminded of their incredible success on the rugby field. So let's just change tack, not talk about the rugby. Um, But if you've read that book or you can cope with it, then it's probably a good book to read about their great team work. Um, So let's talk about the Olympics (laughs) because even in individual sports that you see at the Olympics, there is always a massive bunch of people behind that individual. There's the training support staff or the coaching the training in that particular sport, there's medical teams, there's family, there's other teammates. Sometimes it's the actual competitors that they're working, they're competing against that is driving them forward onto success. Sometimes it's a teammate and a competitor at the same time, as we saw in the decathlon. And you may remember this uh, just from a couple of weeks ago, Ashley Maloney at uh, the age of 21, the youngest track and field member of the Australian team, was out there in the decathlon. Now, I've followed athletics for a long time and I'd have to say the decathlon is the most amazing event. If you're not familiar with it, it's 10 different events, track and field events, and they've got to do everything from a sprint race to a pole vault to 
uh, hurdles. It's just ridiculous. And, um, and so this guy was uh, aiming to be the first Australian ever to get a medal of any kind in this event at the Olympics. And so arguably the, the, the most all-round incredible athletes are in this event. And this guy was coming up actually to the last event of the 10 different events uh, the 1500 metres, which was his weakest event because he's naturally more of a sprinter, but they've got to do 1500 metres, one and a half kilometres. And, um, and his teammate was there to help him along and said, all right, I'm going to really push him because they give points according to their time. And although Ashley was in third place, he was in, at risk of dropping to fourth and missing out on the bronze medal. If he was just a, a few seconds slower, he would have not got as many points. And so you may have seen um, his mate Cedric Dubler was screaming at him as they were going around the track right behind him, pushing him, come on, go, come on. And he may have used, I've heard some rather colourful language, which you'll be glad I won't repeat here or imagine what it was, but uh, he he got him over the line in third place. You might have seen the footage because his, his mate uh, Dubler is like cheering as he crossed and he looked up and saw the time and knew it was just a few seconds just in front of the guy that got fourth place. In fact, the points were 8,649 to the other guy was just 38 points less. I worked that out. It was, it was less than uh, half a percent difference in the calculations of the points. And so um, he credited, of course, his teammate and fellow competitor uh, in giving him the assistance that he needed. So my question today is, are you doing the same with others in your life? Are you being a doobler? Let's all be doublers and help people. Here, let me give you one last scripture. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. You may have heard this before. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, watch, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, as you see Jesus coming back. Now traditionally people have talked about that um, and used that scripture to strengthen the argument about meeting together and uh, about being connected and committed in a local church. And it's a good argument because remember, that's God's word. It's not just an individual's opinion, not just a pastor saying, oh, please come to church, make me feel good. It's God's challenge and God's commandment to us. But notice also that, and of course, at the moment, meeting together looks different, not physically, but, but we can still beat the isolation trap by connecting through technology, phone calls, Zoom meetings, whatever, and maintaining relationships. And, uh, and we've all got a, a responsibility and good reason to do this, to keep this connection with each other, to, to, to not be independent, but involved, to not uh, be isolated, but associated, to not cut off, but connect. And, and finally, notice that word consider. It says there, consider how to stir up one another. Well, we love it when people are considerate to us. You want to be given consideration, don't you? But if they don't know you, they can't consider you. You're not in their radar. You, so this can work in a negative or a positive way. If you withdraw, if you're isolated, 
you can't be considering others. You're not connected to them. They don't even know what's going on in your life. So you can't blame them for not being considerate to you. But turn it around. Make that effort. Take that responsibility. Pick up that phone. Reach out. Make that connection. Well, now you're considering others. But likewise, they're aware of you and what's going on. And then when the chips are down and you're in need of some support, they're obviously going to consider you because you're in good relationships. So let us take that responsibility. I encourage you to stay connected and to love and appreciate the wonders and the power that is there in God's family with our brothers and sisters. Amen. Of course, our greatest connection is with the Lord Jesus. And I encourage you to give your life to Him. If you've never done that, make a first-time commitment of your life. Repent from your sin. Turn to God. Ask Jesus. Come into your heart or contact us and we can help you understand what that means, what it really is to be a Christian. And of course, if you're already a follower of Jesus, then you stay close to Him and then flow on with that to stay closely connected with others. Come on, I'll pray right now for you all. Thank you, Jesus, for your word and for the advice, instruction and leading that you give us about being connected to you and to others. And I pray that we would all be strong in our responsibility and not just think of our our rights or our privileges or be consumers, but be connectors and to be in relationship with each other, healthy, forgiving, grace-filled relationships for our benefit and for the benefit of those that we can pour our life into. Thank you, Lord God. Touching everyone, wherever they may be watching this, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.